This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. So I'm a big fan of autumn, especially in the context of politics. You know what I mean? It's like you start to feel the the crisp air. You've got the whole deal where the days are getting shorter. I mean, that's not good, but it kind of sets a tone. So it only makes sense that we're starting to really ramp up get ready for politics in 2022 here in Rhode Island and in Providence. We've got three mayoral candidates. We have Brett Smiley, who we had on the show earlier this year, Gonzalo Cuervo, who was on last week here on B-Town. And today we welcome in Providence City Councilor and mayoral candidate, Nerva LaFortune. Things are starting to happen. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you for another edition of Rhode Island's Podcast of Record. Give me a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Bill Bartholomew. And join the Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group for daily discussions on all things Rhode Island politics and beyond. So obviously a long way to go before September of next year when the elections take place in terms of the primary. But look, I've been seeing people out and about all over the city, mayoral candidates, um, gubernatorial candidates, fundraising's happening. So we're going to start this conversation. um, Well, I guess we already started it. We're going to continue this conversation all the way through next November. It won't be the only thing we do, of course, but we're going to we're gonna ramp it up a little bit here in terms of our political coverage, and you can expect at least a few episodes per month with candidates, um, and, and we'll be moving towards much more of that as we approach the elections themselves. So I think by next summer, we'll start to get into more like the forums and so on and so forth. But send me an email anytime, bill at ripodcast.com. If you have anything that you'd like for any of the candidates in the 2022 elections to answer. And as we start having them on and start building these um, collections of interviews with those candidates, I think it'll be good to have some of your input into the things that are most important to you. Okay. So for today, Nierville of Fortune here on B-Town, back this time as a mayoral candidate. Councilwoman Nierville of Fortune, um, first of all, we're taping on the day after you announced that you're going to be running for mayor. This was widely known, so to speak, that you had certainly been feeling it out and it was a serious, um, le- there was a serious, seriously good chance that you were going to be running for mayor. So you made your announcement. What are the next steps for you in terms of getting out there and continuing to sort of build name recognition and, and your platform? Thank you, Bill. So as I stated in my speech yesterday, my next step is to connect with folks throughout the city in every single neighborhood, um, to listen to them, to understand and listen to their needs, their ideas, what vision they have for the city, because I could have my vision, but my vision is informed by what the residents want, what type of providence our residents want to live in. So I look forward to talking to people, going out on runs with folks, meeting folks for coffee, house parties, and just really connecting with people throughout the city of Providence. What are you hearing right now? I mean, there's kind of this cloud, if you will, of violence that Mm. is, look, statistically, yes, Providence is a safe city. It's crime is overall lower, but we've had in the last few nights we've had, or days we've had Mm -hmm. seven shootings. And there's this sort of air, especially from people outside of the city that would come and basically spend money here in the city, um, that crime is a major issue. What's your take on that? And, and looking at it from a big picture solution perspective, but then also from an acute immediate perspective, how do, how do we get past this moment? So the first question that you asked was, well, what are people um, saying right now? Um, And what people are saying is the safety. The safety is an issue. Education is an issue. But 
with the influx of um, senseless violence throughout the city um, over this past year and a half, uh, that has been a major um, concern throughout the city of Providence. Now, we also recognize and, and, and people also recognize that um, there's a connection between the pandemic and what's happening here in Providence, which we're also seeing what's happening throughout the nation. Um, people lost their jobs. People are figuring it out. People lost loved ones. Uh, and so we need to take a comprehensive um, and collaborative approach around public safety. We need to utilize some of the resources that we have and also support initiatives um, like the Nonviolence Institute where they can have outreach workers uh, in the neighborhoods uh, to help intervene conflict and also pre the prevent conflict for, from escalating to violence, to shooting. We also need to implement a community policing model. Listen, Providence signed, signed on as part of the partner cities under Barack Obama's administration to implement that model in our city. So we need to see officers in our neighborhoods on, you know, walking around on bikes, talking to the neighbors, cultivating relationships, building trust so that when someone sees something that's not okay, they're not afraid to call the police department so that they can report it. But also we can actually use our local um, community entities, again, like the Nonviolence Institute, like our neighborhood centers, uh, so that we can work with them in keeping our neighborhood safer. So one thing I will say is that I've actually been talking to the Nonviolence Institute, talking to the police chief, talking to community members. About a month ago, I brought people together to talk about this very issue, safety in our city. So one of the things that I'm following up with uh, the, the police chief, as well as the um, Nonviolence Institute, is trying to design some sort of ambassadors program uh, within our communities. Uh, and so we can have community members who are also engaging with the community, building that trust, building um, community partnerships, um, and also thinking about ways how we can effectively and strategically use officers, um, particularly those who are from Providence, who understand the community that they're serving in our neighborhoods um, and in a collaborative way so that we can keep our streets safe. But what's happening is disturbing. It's sad. Uh, it's hurting so many people. I've I've been in the hospital. I've gone with the Nonviolence Institute. I've talked to parents. I've talked to loved ones. And every time I hear their stories, it's heartbreaking. To achieve that community policing um, would certainly, from the perspective of Chief Clements and, and just sort of the general consensus, would require maybe even additional funding to the police. Chief Clement stated uh, recently that he needs 448 police officers to be able to just operate at a normal capacity and that in order to get to a community policing model where you have officers on foot or on bikes or in the community, so on and so forth, there would have to be an increase yet in terms of police funding. Yet right now we hear so often calls to defund the police. Even some people say abolish the police altogether. So how do you reconcile that with is it the loudest voices aren't necessarily representing the majority of residents or how do you, in terms of defund the police, how do you reconcile all of that and what the, the, the call to um, alter policing uh, by decreasing the funding going there? 
So I actually recently spoke with Chief Clemens and one of the questions, the first question I had for him, well, if you do want additional police officers, because again, our city is experiencing a major pension liability. We have some real financial woes. So however we allocate funds, we have to be strategic about it and know that our tax dollars, our residents' tax dollars are being used effectively and efficiently. And so my question was, well, if you have additional police officers, how would we use them? How does like the districts look like? Um, where is um, the biggest need? And so, and also, how can we utilize our community resources to address public safety, to make our neighborhoods safer? So I think, again, like I said earlier, we have to take a comprehensive approach. We need to do things within public safety to make sure that people are connected to resources. We're making necessary investments in our communities. That's why one of the things I worked on this over this past year and a half was designing a framework for a crisis response initiative. And in July, the city of Providence announced in partnership with the Providence Center, as well as Family Services and Public Safety, they're going to be working on launching a crisis response initiative within public safety. So people who are experiencing behavioral mental health crisis, which are all factors that can lead to violence later on, if not supported and people are not connected to resources. Um, so doing that work, um, but also again, partnering with the Nonviolence Institute, because if we have limited resources, we have to figure out how to efficiently um, work with what we have to keep our community safe. Uh, but again, if we need more officers, if we need to invest more in public safety, well, how do we imagine a public safety entity where community policing, building trust is, and the, and the community is at the core, but again, leveraging those partnerships with our community entities, whether it's the Nonviolence Institute, whether it's our community-based organizations, whether it's our youth groups, whether it's our um, social services groups that are providing mental and behavioral health, we need to leverage those partnerships because the city <laughs> is strapped for financial resources. So we need to be smart in the way we're allocating and spending money. Support for B-Town comes from our listeners who visit patreon.com slash Bartholomew Town or click the support link wherever you're listening right now. One thing that's interesting we're learning right now through the Ward 3, pardon me, the, the Senate District 3 um, mm -hmm. special election is the diversity of activist groups or um lobby unofficial lobbyist groups and opinions and how they're spread out amongst the variety of, of democratic candidates. Do you see yourself as someone who would actively try to court a sunrise Providence or a prism, uh, so on and so forth, the, the youth groups, if you will, um, to endorse your campaign, even if there is a difference in opinion in the policing and, um, sort of fiscal policies that you might bring forward. Hmm. So one thing I will say is that Providence is a city of unique diversity. We have people who are living in our city that represents different groups that have um, that have various lived experience that come from different backgrounds, racially, eth ethnically, um, socioeconomically. So 
there's going to be different perspectives. That's what makes our city special. That's what will allow our city to thrive. So my job is to build consensus and build those and bring all of the groups together. Because at the end of the day, regardless of what group you're a part of, Everyone wants to live in a safe city. Everyone wants investments in their neighborhood. Everyone wants to be able to have access to a quality education. Everyone wants government to work for their community and for them. Everyone wants transparency, accountability, integrity. So those those foundational things, um, I think we all can agree on how it looks like might defer. So how do we get to uh, the the middle? How do we make sure that if it's if we're talking um, about public safety, how do we make sure that we have, you know, safe communities, but we're also making the investments in our neighborhoods, and we're holding the uh, the officers who are charged to serve our communities accountable, and there's trust that's being built within our community. Um, those all those things go in hand in hand. All right, last couple of minutes here. Um, if elected mayor and you were able to build upon one term into another term, you may be the person who is, so to speak, given back the Providence school system from the state. What are you looking for in terms of specific reforms that would take place during? the state's takeover, if you will. And if you were to receive back control of the district, what are some things right now that you would like to implement yourself that maybe you're not seeing happening at the state level? Yeah. So one thing I'm sure you know is that Providence Public Schools is near and dear to me. I am a product of Providence Public Schools. My children are part of Providence Public School products. Um, my parents sent five children through the Providence Public Schools. Uh, so I'm committed to the Providence Public Schools and I'm committed to working hard um, to make it the best that it could be so that every single child could have access to a quality education. But by doing that, you can't do it alone. And um, having the state um, just making all decisions for Providence is not always the it's not it's it's also not the best pathway. So one of the first things I would like is a plan, a comprehensive educational plan for the city of Providence, but also a comprehensive educational plan for the state of Rhode Island and for the cities, particularly our urban cities that serve students of um, marginalized communities to have the tools and resources so that they could rise up, right? But we need to also stick to the plan. What I'm tired of is all the talk. What I'm tired of is Every time there's a new administration, the plan changes. It redirects our path. We need a plan and we need to stick to it and make the necessary investments so Providence can be successful. So the first thing that has to happen, right, is a plan. The plan should include a pathway back to Providence and also identifying what are the key tools and resources do we need to serve every Providence student. That might include ensuring that we have the resources so our um, English language learners, right, can be successful in class. Our students with differential learning needs or students with disabilities, I went through the process. I have a child who had a 504B plan. Um, and um, it was um, quite frustrating at times, but we need to make sure families and students have those tools, ensuring that we have a diverse group of teachers that represents the beautiful diversity of our students and families, but also have the tools and resources so students can learn inside and outside of the classroom. 
We have wonderful things happening in Providence. We have our community libraries. We have um, entities like Save the Bay, where I chaperoned um, one of my daughters of school trips. And like having that hands-on practical experience is amazing. We have an amazing and robust arts and theater program and science opportunities. Leverage those partnerships. Bring those folks to the tables. Make sure we have student voices as part of the decision-making process and family voices so that we can create a plan for Providence that we stick to and that works for our city, our students, our families. All right, 30 seconds real quick. I know these are complicated questions in, in, in a way, but your, your initial response, Brown University, LaSalle Academy, should they pay more taxes? I think Taxes all nonprofits, <laughs> I think that all nonprofits, they play a role within our city, right? They also provide um, jobs and opportunities, but they also should all be paying their fair share. One of the things that I did is I um, introduced a resolution um, to assess the pilot program to one, to see if it's working. And if it's not, what are some things that we can do to make the pilot work better with our nonprofits across the board? So I do hope that, and I know right now that the administration um, is working on that, but I want to see a comprehensive report outlining, has the pilot program been working? And what can we do to ensure that even our nonprofits are paying their fair share and are investing in the communities that they exist in? Explore eminent domain for Superman. Is that something you're open to? Um, Superman, again, we have some serious financial woes, <laughs> and I, I I, can't imagine the city taking on um, any more additional financial burdens. Um, but the Superman um, building, um, one, I mean, architecturally, it's amazing. And there's so much possibility for development there, um, particularly to address housing, which has been a major issue in our city for quite some time. We need to hold that developer accountable. We need to make sure that something's happening with that building. And if it's not, we need to figure out how we can move forward to hold them accountable and make sure that that building can be used to address one of our city's uh, needs. And very last question, Fane Tower, pro or against? Well, you know what I felt about the Fane Tower. Um, our city came up with a comprehensive zoning plan. And what the Fane Tower... Um, you know, uh, ordinance did was change that comprehensive zoning plan without doing any environmental assessment, without assessing if that's the need that we need for housing right now. Um, and so right now, as it stands, no, I'm not in favor of Fane Tower because that's not what the city needs. And if we create a comprehensive zoning plan that needs that meets the zoning needs of Providence, we shouldn't do spot um change for that, especially if we haven't done the necessary research to assure that the zoning change works for that um, particular parcel. Councilwoman Nirva LaFortune, Ward 3, and Providence mayoral candidate. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bill. All Thank right. you. One day we have to have our music conversation because you know Absolutely. I collect vinyl. The important stuff here. Absolutely. Yes. See ya. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. See ya. All right. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.